Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. I wish I would have had Brother uh, Kenny's testimony and grew up in church. I did not. Well, I should say I grew up in church, but it wasn't a Bible-preaching church. And uh, I, unfortunately, um, when I was 18, I left the non-Bible-preaching church because everybody I knew in church acted just like everybody who didn't go to church. And uh, as an unsaved person, uh, it didn't make any sense to me. You say you believe in God, you act just like these people who don't believe in God. And I uh, went to the University of Toledo, uh, majored in mechanical engineering. I'm ashamed to say I lived in the fraternity house uh, for four years. And uh, it was just about exactly everything you think it would be. And uh, my last year of school, one of my fraternity brothers, his name was Jason, uh, you know, now I know, uh, he got saved, and uh, he quit doing all the stuff we were doing, and everybody kind of laughed at him, but I, at that point, I was 23, I had never met anyone who uh, claimed to be a Christian who behaved any differently. They never believed anything strongly enough to modify their behavior, and so I talked to him privately, and I, uh, he said, you need to read the Bible for yourself, and uh, that made sense to me. Uh, they'd always taught me in my classes, you know, uh, ask why. And so I bought a Bible from him. Uh, I paid him $25 back in 1983. It was a hardcover Bible. He probably, like, really made a lot of money on me, but that was all right. I read the New Testament twice, read the first 10 or 12 books of the Old Testament twice. And as a lost person, I came away with two things. Uh, number one all the warnings of false prophets. And number two, something Jesus said when he said, if the blind lead the blind, shall they not both fall in a ditch? And about that time, uh, we were sitting in the office working, and uh, uh, we were talking about playing ball, and I love to play ball. And one of the guys uh, in the office said, my church has a ball team. I said, uh, what would I have to do? He said, you have to go to church twice a month. I said, what kind of church is it? He says, a Baptist church. Now, I'm from up north. I'm from Michigan. I, uh, as far as I know, never met a Baptist, uh, didn't know a thing about him, but I was uh, Presbyterian and Lutheran. My fiance, who I was supposed to marry in uh, five weeks that we had dated for five years as lost people, she was Catholic, and to me, well, it wasn't Catholic, wasn't Lutheran or Presbyterian, I'll try it. And uh, I went the first night. Uh, uh, I, people seemed to be glad to be there. That man preached the Bible. And uh, for the first time in my life, and, I, and so the first time in my life, at a 24, year old, 24 years old, I, I knew that God had spoken to my heart, I need to be saved. And I was just so proud. Uh, I'm ashamed. I was so proud of my success, so arrogant. And I wasn't going forward in front of all them people. And uh, I tried to ask Christ in my heart on my own. And uh, while I know all it takes to be saved is to ask Christ in your heart, God wasn't going to let me do that until I humbled myself further. And um, I tried five or six times. Nothing. I went back on Sunday night, Easter, 1984, and uh, that man preached again, and I went forward and gave my heart to Christ. Amen. And uh, God changed my life. 
Uh, I wish I had the testimony that my three sons have. They grew up in church. I wish I had that. And uh, I'm thankful that God is interested in saving church kids. And I'm thankful he is interested in saving adults who are obvious sinners too. Amen? Amen. Father, there is nothing I can do in my own. Pastor here asked me to preach on the family. I pray, God, you'd help families. Please glorify Christ. Please magnify your word. Please help their families and their homes. In Jesus' name, amen. I grew up in a small family farm in the southeast corner of Michigan. It was a land that had been in my mother's family since 1828. Long time. Michigan wasn't even a state when Solomon Keeney moved there. Uh, there's a family cemetery there. Graves go back to the middle uh, of the 1800s. That's the way I, I grew up. And uh, because of that, inheritance was always a huge deal. I mean, what are you going to pass on uh, to your children? And this farm had passed through multiple generations until it got to my mother and and that farm and passing on that inheritance which at that time was about 65 acres of land uh, to pass that on intact my, my mom would have eaten rice and beans every day for 20 years and walked to the store to buy it before she parted with one square inch that's how important that inheritance was to her. Uh, have you ever really thought much about the inheritance that you're leaving? Now, now listen, you and I can't control what was left to us by our parents or grandparents, but we do have complete control over the inheritance we leave behind for our children and grandchildren. Everybody leaves something behind. Everybody. And I want you to understand tonight, the most important inheritance has nothing to do with a 401k. It has nothing to do with whether your house is two, three, four, or five bedrooms. It has nothing to do with the amount of acreage you own. The greatest inheritance we leave has nothing to do with those things. As an unsaved teenager, I left behind quite a lot of emotional turmoil in the house when I moved out. As a husband and father of uh, three boys, and now we have six grandchildren, the oldest one will be four in, in May, uh, I'm leaving something behind. When my dad's mom passed away, my grandmother, in 2006, she had 14 grandchildren. She left each of us $1,400. You know, that's really has nothing to do with the most important thing she left. If you're able to stand, if you would stand tonight in honor of the Word of God, the title of my thought is a parent's inheritance to their children. A parent's inheritance to their children. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22. Proverbs 13, 22 says, A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. And the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. Thank you. Might be seated. 
I hope reading Proverbs is a part of your regular daily reading of the Word of God. Uh, I want the wisdom of God in my life. Uh, and here, we get a little bit of the wisdom of God when it comes to the inheritance that a good man leaves his family. Uh, part of the inheritance of a good man is what they leave behind for their children, and part of what they leave behind is also for their children's children. Now, I hope you understand tonight, when it comes to salvation, there are no good men. There is none good, no, not one. And when we compare to the moral commandments of God, when we compare to the morality of our Creator as lived out by the Lord Jesus Christ, we all fall short of the glory of God. And if you're trusting your goodness for your eternal life, you will be sadly disappointed because you will not be allowed in the golden city of God. But at other times, God compares goodness with people. Um... That's what he does here. Uh, for instance, Joseph of Arimathea is described by the Holy Spirit as a, quote, good man in Luke 23.50. Uh, Barnabas is described by the Holy Spirit in Acts 11.24 as a good man. Now, in addition to God calling some people good men as they compare to other people, the Bible also gives us some of the qualities of those that he would consider to be good. Psalm 112.5 says, A good man sheweth favor and lendeth. He'll guide his affairs with discretion. Someone who's a good person is generous. They handle themselves discreetly, honorably, carefully. Matthew 12, 35, Jesus said, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth good things. And uh, someone who is good in God's sight uh, acts on the uh, good part of what's in their heart. Uh, by the way, I don't care how good-hearted you think you are, there are parts of your heart that are dark. Deceitful. Desperately wicked. There's a reason the Proverbs say the fool trusts in his heart. But when you're a good person, as God looks at good people, you act on the good parts of your heart rather than on those dark portions of your heart. Someone said a good, a good person may never be great, but any genuinely great person is always good. And as we think about the inheritance we leave behind, we are often too focused on material things. Now our text does directly refer to material things in verse 22. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children, and the wealth of the sinner is laid up for the just. See, contrast material wealth here, but that's not the only way that this applies because to be honest with you, anybody who is diligent and uh, wise in their life, you're going to have some material things. Diligence tends to gain. That's what Proverbs 14, 23 says there. It says, in the all labor there is profit, but the talk of the lips tendeth only to penury, to, to poverty. I've been at a lot of funerals. But you know what I have yet to hear? 
Someone stand up for their eulogy and talk about all how nice the property and house and 401k was that the person left them. I've yet to hear that. But do you know what I've heard over and over and over and over again? When someone talks about the investment they made in their life. The impact they had on them for good. That, that, that is what, when it comes down to it, that is the most valuable inheritance we leave behind. And yet we don't focus on it like we ought to. Uh, hear me when I say you can leave a chunk of change behind and lands and all sorts of things for children and your children's children, uh, and I'm not being critical of doing that, but understand, if that's all you do, you have not left the best kind of inheritance that you can leave. What I'm saying is simply this. The most important inheritance that any of us leaves behind is something money cannot buy. And it is something that everyone can afford. I get it. Money's like oxygen. Everybody needs some. I get that. But there are more important things to leave behind than uh, what my grandparents left to my parents when they left a hundred or 65-acre farm, a 140-year-old house, and two barns. The greatest thing that Theodore and Marilyn Miller, my parents, will leave behind is not the house they built with their own hands over 60 years ago. The greatest thing that my wife Sharon and I leave behind to our three boys and our grandchildren will not be our house on Sullivan Avenue and any money we have left over. And by the way, my goal is to spend it all. But, but that will not be the greatest thing we leave them. And as this revival meeting continues and we begin to think about our homes and, and our families, uh, I am challenging you to consider what you're leaving behind. Listen, not everyone is going to die at a ripe old age uh, with their family standing around them holding hands singing Kumbaya. Some people are going to die before that and they will still leave something behind. There will be young adults who are not going to live to a ripe old age and they will still leave something behind. No matter how young a human being dies, they always leave footprints somewhere. Did you hear me? If that life only lives on this earth for 10 weeks, they still leave footprints. Everybody leaves something behind. And what we leave behind that's worthwhile has a lot more to do with how we live than how long we live. It's a good man leaveth inheritance to his children's children. Let me ask you tonight as we begin to think about this, what are you leaving to your children and your children's children? And tonight I would like to talk about three things we should be leaving our spouse, our children and our grandchildren. Uh, 
things we should leave behind. Please first turn in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. Here's number one. Leave behind an inheritance of the importance of our faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've got those two words underlined in my Bible, substance and evidence. Faith is not simply something that we feel in our heart. When faith is real, it produces something on the outside. Substance. Evidence. That's why in verse 4 it says, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. That's why it says in verse 7 of Noah, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark. That's why it says in verse 8, By faith Abram, when he had, was called to go out into a place uh, which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And as it relates more to you and I today, because the likelihood of uh, you and I being giving a land and like Abraham was, or you and I building an ark like Noah, look at Joseph, uh, his faith there all the way in verse 22. It says, by faith Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel, gave commandment concerning his bones. Did you hear that? The evidence of his faith was the fact that when his people were enslaved there in Egypt and he knew the promise of God that God would deliver them after they were oppressed there for 400 years, he knew that promise. His inheritance was faith was simply him saying to his kids, listen, God's going to get us out of here because he promised. Take my bones with you when you go. Real faith has substance. If you say you have faith and there is no evidence in your life, your faith is not real. By the way, real faith moves us to confess Jesus as Savior. If you say you have faith in God, you say you have faith in Christ, has it moved you to humble yourself, to repent of your sins and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you done that? By the way, one of the worst things you can leave your family is no confidence in whether you're heaven in, or in heaven or hell. Uh, again, I've been in a lot of funerals. I've been at funerals where someone had made a profession of faith and lived for Jesus Christ, and though people were sad, everyone was truly confident that that person was in a better place. I've been at other funerals where someone had made a profession of faith and they lived in a way that really didn't give anybody any confidence in that and they said, yeah, I hope he's in heaven. Uh, what I say to you tonight, please do not do this to those you leave behind by living a life that does not manifest with evidence and substance that your faith in Jesus was real. I was uh, doing a funeral one time, and uh, 
I, I told them not to do it. They, they said, we would like to open the floor up for people to say whatever they want. I said, well, you can do what you want. I said, I would recommend not doing that. They said, we want to do it. Well, this particular individual, he had been uh, saved as an adult, and for 10 or 12 years, he had lived for Christ, did ministry, was faithful. He got mad at somebody in the church, got mad at the preacher, and left. And over the course of the next seven or eight years, his life just completely deteriorated into addictions, so much so that he was home alone, he drank turpentine and fell and hit his head on the corner of the counter and died there in his blood and nobody found him for a couple of days. They opened the floor up, first couple of people said some nice things, and then a guy in the back Got up, says, I, I know y'all what y'all are saying. He said, but this man's in hell. He said, you know how he's lived. There is no way he was a child of God. There's no way he's a believer. He's in hell today, and you're talking about him like this. And, of course, the family, they're all getting up and shuffling this man out of here. And, and, and by the way, I, I believe the Bible, when you're genuinely saved, you're saved forever. Amen. But what a tragedy. What a tragedy. Are you leaving an inheritance of faith? God has given those with faith some clear commandments. One of them happens to be right in the neighborhood where we are. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. The brother sang about it tonight. By the way, I said it this morning, don't put your Bible away when I preach. We'll, we'll, we'll be back around in there. Everybody's got the way they do things. That's the way I do things. Hebrews 10, 25, a lot of you know it by heart. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. By the way, in the first century, the manner of some was to blow off church. Did you know that that is not a new phenomenon? Oh, people aren't going to church today. Listen, people, there's always been times when people didn't go to church. I mean, 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 listen, disciples of Jesus today are no different than disciples of Jesus when Jesus lived. Some of Jesus' disciples, man, they were sold out. They were all in. Some of Jesus' disciples, they were just barely in. And they're trying to figure things out. And they really hadn't applied much of what he taught yet to their life. But he was still, uh, they were still disciples. And there was all kinds of them in the middle. Listen, disciples of Jesus have always been all over the map. My goal is in the midst of a lukewarm day and age, I want to be a fireball disciple for Jesus. He says, don't forsake the assembling together as a manner of some is. And he says, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Have you ever noticed that today in America, as we see the day approaching, people go to church less and less? That is literally the opposite of what the Bible says to do. Literally the opposite. <laughs> Uh, by the way, I want to thank God my grandparents uh, demonstrated their faith on their family fruit stand with a sign that said closed Sunday. That, that might seem like a simple thing to you. Literally the only sign on the barn. Closed Sunday. And as an unsaved teenager, 
Uh, I thought to myself, because people would come in on Sunday, try to buy something. My grandpa would say, now we'll give you something, but you can't buy anything. I'm like, hey, I'll sell you something. I mean, now I, I understand. That was a part of their faith and became part of my inheritance. My wife and I tried over the years to teach our children the importance of the church in the Lord's day. Listen, and we clearly demonstrate those because our kids watch what we choose to miss for. They know whether you really wanted to be there or not. It's a part of your inheritance, a part of the obedience of faith. What kind of inheritance are you leaving your children when it comes to the Lord's church? Do you know that how we treat the Bible and prayer are part of the demonstration of our obedience of faith? Listen, there, there, there's a reason we read the Bible. God said to. There's a reason we pray. God said to. Can, can I confess to you tonight? Sometimes when I read the Bible, I don't feel anything. In fact, most of the time, I don't feel anything. Sometimes when I read the Bible... I'm not sure I learn anything. Now, if you always feel something and you always learn something after you've read it a hundred times, please give me your secret. I'll try it. And if it works, I'll tell everybody. But, but the fact of the matter is, is I do it because I'm told to do it. It's a part of my inheritance. Would your children be shocked if they found you reading your Bible? I have no doubt. There's people in this room tonight, and your kids watch you pick your Bible up on Sunday morning to come to church. They watch you put it down when you get back home from church, and they never see it move throughout the entire week. That is a part of your inheritance. Would your children be shocked to find you praying? Does it mean anything to your children if you say, I'm praying for you? There's a lot of people who tell me, I'm praying for you. And some people, when they say, I'm praying for you, I think to myself, man, that's good. I'm glad. Can, can I tell you this? When I die, if Christ doesn't come back first, there will be a lot less prayers going upward from my wife and my children, my grandchildren. They are first on my prayer list. Do you call their name out every day? What inheritance are you leaving? My dad was saved about six months before I was. He was in his 40s because we went to a church that didn't preach the gospel. And he got saved at a Baptist church <laughs> because Baptist churches used to always preach the gospel. And one of the things about my dad was my dad was a praying man. 
Uh, he prayed, as far as I know, at least 30 minutes every single day. And when my dad said, I'm praying for you, it meant something. What inheritance are you leaving of faith? What are you leaving behind? Everybody's leaving something behind. But leaving behind an inheritance of our faith is not the only thing we should leave behind. Uh, turn back one book to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Here's the second thing. Leave behind an inheritance of the love you have for key people in your life. Leave behind an inheritance of the love you have for key people in your life. In James chapter 2, in verse 8, it says, If ye fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, thou ye, I'm sorry, ye do well. Notice the royal law of the Scripture, scripture is a quote of Leviticus 19.18, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. The command to love thy neighbor is repeated seven times in the New Testament and 13 times we're told to love one another. I hope you understand the royal law is the summary of the second half of the Ten Commandments. The first half of the Ten Commandments are summarized that thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and all thy mind and all thy soul and all thy strength. And when you love God, you, you will not put anything before Him. You will not worship Him with images in any way. You will not treat His name disrespectfully. And you'll give Him a day of the week. The royal law, according to the Scripture, is a summary of the second six commandments that all have to do with our relationship with other people. When you love your mom and dad, you will not have any issues honoring them. When you love people, you will respect their life. When you love people, you will respect their marriage. When you love people, you will respect their property. When you love people, you will respect your integrity with them. When you love people, you will not want the things they have because you're glad that they have them. But the first place that our love ought to be manifested is in our own home. Someone might even try to spell love T-I-M-E. Other people might try to spell love E-F-F-O-R-T. It's a story told about a young man sentenced to prison. The judge had known this boy from childhood because he was good friends with his father. This young man has a famous father who was a legal scholar, a famous lawyer, one of the best litigators anywhere. And the judge spoke to the young man before sentencing. And he asked this young man, do you remember your father? And the young man said, I remember him well, Your Honor. And the judge said, Our, as you're about to be sentenced, you think of your wonderful dad, what do you remember most clearly about him? And there was a pause, and the young man said, I remember when I went to him for advice, he looked up at me from the book he was writing and said, run along, boy, I'm busy. I remember asking him to go to the backyard and play catch 
but he couldn't find the time. I remember him being on his phone when we sat at dinner. Your Honor, you remember him as a great lawyer. I remember him as an uninterested dad. No one can spend the time with their spouse they wish they could spend. No one can spend the time with their children they wish they could spend. No one can spend the time doing ministry and serving Christ like we wish we could spend. But everyone can make time each week for your spouse and children instead of taking them for granted. I uh, want to thank God for my dad. He went to heaven just a few months ago. Um, my dad was a good man. He was a salt-of-the-earth kind of guy. He worked in a factory. He was a, he was a millwright. And... Um, my dad was not the kind of person, I don't think he ever helped me with my homework after, I don't know, if they're sixth grade. He, he wasn't dumb, he just wasn't his thing. Uh, but one of the things my dad left me as an inheritance was time and effort. Uh, I could tell you stories for two hours of different things that happened when him and I were out fishing in the wilderness. I remember one time we were going along the edge of a lake called Buckeye Lake and there was in a little uh, hole there on the bank, there was the backside of a snapping turtle sitting out, just the end of his shell and the, and the tail and the shell and the snapping turtle. I'm not exaggerating because I'm preaching. This, this was a big snapping turtle. I mean, it, it would bite your hand off. And uh, dad says, paddle over there. And I didn't really know what was going on. He grabbed that tail, threw that snapping turtle in our boat on his back, and he's trying to hold him down with the paddle. That was my dad. Get him out of here! Get him out of here! Get him out of here! Time. You know what? I don't ever remember my dad telling me he loved me growing up. I don't ever remember hugging my dad. But I had zero doubts that my dad loved me. I, I, could, I remember the time I hugged my dad for the first time and we told each other that we loved each other. My dad was saved in his 40s. I was already moved away, lived in Cincinnati, uh, 200 miles away. And he was saved six months before I do. I remember coming home and seeing my dad and going over and hugging him. Just saying, I love you, Dad. I, I, I'm not advocating not hugging as a male or not expressing your love for the children. I think that's a bad aspect of a previous culture. What I'm saying is that he left me an inheritance from his time and effort with me of love that's never escaped me. Do, do you know, when we were raising our boys, they got my time. Man, I would get up crazy hours to 
get my work done. So that I could spend time with him. I learned that from my dad. I believe one of the reasons I have a good relationship with him to this day. Listen, I was, I've always been in a, a demanding job. Always. I've always been an intense, hard-driving individual. But I learned from my dad how important it was to make time. Are you leaving an inheritance of memories of things you did together at home or on vacation? Time and effort. What are you leaving behind? Wise men still say, a good man leaveth an inheritance through their children's children, which gets us to our last thing, number three, and I'll be very brief. I know you can say amen under your breath. Here's number three. Leave behind an inheritance of godly character. If I was picking the greatest thing that's deteriorated in America in the last 50 or 70 years, I would pick character. Here's the sad thing, is it's not just the world where character has deteriorated, it's in the church. Listen, not everyone has talent. That's the gift of God. Not anyone, not everyone can have a lot of wealth. That is the blessing of God on wise behavior and gifts from God. But listen, everyone can have character. There's not a person in here that can't choose to be diligent or honorable or kind or loving or respectful. There's not a single person in here that can't choose to do that. And I could go on and on about character qualities, grateful, appropriate, respectful, tough but not mean, generous, balanced, teachable, punctual, polite, consistent, sacrificial. What are you leaving behind? I remember my old pastor, his daughter one time saying that she was 11 or 12 before she ever saw her dad in bed because he was always up when she got up and never in bed when she went to bed. And the first time at the age of 12 or 13, when she saw her dad in bed, she asked her mom, is daddy sick? Is he going to die? I remember my grandfather. He was 68 when I was born. I was the first grandchild. And I think he graduated from third grade. You beat him by five years. He's about this big. And uh, so by the time I was conscious of him, I mean, he was 75, 80 years old. And he would work from dawn to dusk. Six days a week. When he was about, I guess he was probably 90. And so I was in the neighborhood of 18. He was back plowing in, in, in the back. And I mean, you want to talk about doing a terrible job. 
He was the poster child for it. My mom said to me, you go back there, get your grandfather off that tractor, and, and finish that field right. I said, all right. Well, I went back there, and he shut the tractor off. I was going to college at that time, so he was willing to stop for a moment to talk to me. And he shut it off. I talked to him for a minute. I said, Grandpa, Mom uh, asked me to finish the field. He said, no, I got it. I said, Grandpa, look, at, look how crooked it is. Mom asked me to finish. He said, I got it. And so I went over there. I was a you know, cocky 18-year-old lost kid. I went over and pulled one of the spark plug wires off the tractor. And he tried to start it up. It wouldn't start up. And I said, Grandpa, I pulled the spark plug wire. Mom asked me to plow. And he reached underneath that tractor. See, there was, used to be a big wrench under there. He grabbed that wrench and he shook it at me. And he said, you put that wire back on there or I'm going to hit you with this. I said, all right, Grandpa. I put the wire back on and he just plowed it crooked. It's my inheritance. He was poor as poor could be. I mean, you talk about having nothing. I mean, he had nothing. But he left me something great. What are you leaving? I would to God that every dad here could say to your son, treat your wife like you watched me treat your mother. I wish every man could say to their daughter, find a man that treats you like you watch me treat your mom. I, I wish every mom could say to her daughter, uh, treat your husband like you've watched me treat your dad. Give him the same love, the same respect, the same grace, the same service that you've watched me give him. I wish every mom could say to her son, you find yourself a woman who will treat you like you've watched me treat your dad. I, I, listen to me. That's our inheritance. And if we're leaving anything other than that, we're not leaving our children and grandchildren the best thing we could possibly leave them. Go ahead, leave them 50 acres, leave them a five-bedroom house, leave them a 401k with a half a million dollars. I'm sure they'd be glad of it, but they would be far better off in the end with an inheritance of faith, with an inheritance of demonstrated love, and with an inheritance of your character. Not everybody here can leave a lot of wealth behind. But everyone here can leave those things behind. 